Uh, welcome again to Faith. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. It's good to have you here with us, whether you're in person today, whether you're online. Uh, if you're with us in person, you're in, uh, you know, with us online today, and you're going, hey, dude, what's with the outfit? <laughs> it's like first Sunday of Lent. Does that make a casual Sunday? Um, before, before you get all ruffled and you're sitting there going, <laughs> can't believe he's dressed like that at church on Sunday. What's wrong with him? Before you jump to your connection card and fill it out there, just hang in there, all right? It'll all make sense before the end of the day. We'll get there eventually. So, uh, but for now, I want to take a, a minute and pray uh, as we jump into things before we jump into an explanation from my clothing. So, Father, uh, thank you just for today, for this first Sunday of Lent. Father, just as we enter into this season, just pray that you would help us to be introspective. Father, pray you would help us um, just to focus our hearts and our minds on Jesus and what it looks like to get them ready to fully celebrate his death and his resurrection together as a church in the weeks to come in Easter. Father, we want to pray for members of our church family, just for Judy Shaw's family, for John and for Jimmy and for Kevin as uh, Judy has passed and they are mourning the loss of a wife and a mother. God, we pray you would bring healing to their hearts. Father, for Vivian Walther, she is getting ready uh, in this week to come to have total uh, shoulder replacement surgery. We pray for your hand of mercy and healing on her body. We pray that she would recover well. And Father, just as we take time today to try and consider your truth, I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are right in the middle of a series entitled Adulting. And if you're just joining us today, if you've been away for a little bit, um, adulting is a term used to describe the behaviors that we engage in now, maybe mundane, not, not exciting things that we do, but we do them now because we're grown, because we're adults now. These are things that we couldn't be bothered with in adolescence, but now we take care of these things. So, so for example, if, if you actually balance your checking or debit account, rather than just hoping you don't overdraft, you're adulting now. If you set your own doctor or dentist appointment yourself, rather than waiting for mommy or daddy or your spouse to do it, you're adulting now. If your car insurance is in your name and it's paid out of a legitimate financial institution that you have funded yourself, congratulations, you are now adulting. Now, we've, we've called this series Adulting because in this series, we're taking some time to walk through the New Testament book of Colossians. And the book of Colossians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this young adolescent church about what it looks like for them to grow up spiritually, about what it looks like for them to think and behave as adults, to adult in Jesus. And so each week, we're just trying to go, hey, what is something that Paul is saying to them or something that Paul is saying to us about what we need to do to think or to act like spiritual grown-ups? And so today, as we continue, we're going to spend some time in Colossians chapter 3, we're going to work through verses 1 through 17. We're actually going to start at verse 17. 
Because in verse 17, Paul gives us another great picture of what it looks like to adult in Jesus. And then what we'll do is we'll go backwards and kind of run through verses 1 through 16, a section at a time. Because in verses 1 through 16, Paul talks to us about what we can do to move our lives towards the ideal that he's calling us to in verse 17. So in verse 17, Paul starts off this way. He says, and whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Paul's going, hey, show of hands. Who's serious about adulting in Jesus? Nobody in this room. One, two, all right, here we go. If you participate, it makes me think you're paying attention. It's good for my self-esteem, all right? So Paul's like, listen, th this is all you've got to do. Whatever you say, whatever word escapes your lips, Whatever you do, whatever behavior, whatever response you allow yourself to, to act out, simply do it in the name of Jesus. Represent him. Point people to him as you are bathed in the spirit of gratitude. Paul says, hey, it's, it's just, you want an adult in Jesus? Every conversation, the words you are speaking, make sure the words that the people who are hearing those words, they are hearing from you what they would hear if Jesus himself were talking about the same topic. Every action that you take, the responses, the behaviors, the, everything you're doing, the people who are watching what you are doing, just make sure they are watching what Jesus would do if he was acting in your place. Paul gives us this all-encompassing, what you do. He's intentionally being all-encompassing, intimidating, life-verse-worthy statement. It says, you want to you know what it looks like to adult in Jesus? All you got to do is this. Now, if you hear this and you think, okay, well, fair enough. That could be adulting in Jesus. Point scored for Paul. But if I'm being honest, like, th this is intimidating. Like every conversation, every action I'm going to represent and point people to Jesus while I'm bathed in the spirit of gratitude. Like how in the world can regular normal people like you and me, how can we achieve this ideal? And that's where verses 1 through 16 come into play. Because in verses 1 through 16, Paul is going to speak to us about the kind of things that we can do to progressively move our lives closer and closer to this ideal. So we're going to take them just one section at a time and see what Paul is going to say to us about what, what, what we can do to live like spiritual grown-ups. So Paul starts, verses 1 through 4. He says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So in this first section, Paul begins by trying to call our attention to some things that are true of us if we are people who have surrendered our lives to Jesus. Paul's saying, hey, if you are following Jesus, I want you to understand some things that are realities for who you are now. Like, like Paul will say, hey, you have, you have been raised up with Christ. 
In his resurrection, Jesus showed himself to be definitively more powerful than things like sin and death and hell itself. Paul's saying, hey, if you are following Jesus, you have been raised up with Christ. Sin, it doesn't have to own you anymore. No matter where you have been, no matter what you have done, you can be forgiven now. Paul says, if if you've been raised up with Christ, you don't need to be afraid of dying. That because of the one who will face death with you, you can face death with certainty and confidence and even hope. If if you've been raised up with Christ, if you're following Jesus, you have. You've been raised up with him. Hell itself has no power over you. You are meant to storm its gates and tear them down. Paul says, this is who you are now. Or or Paul will go on and he will say, if if you're a follower of Jesus, you have died. and, And your life is now hidden with Christ. When, when God looks at you, he doesn't see that, that old person who did life their way, who stood justly condemned before him with no excuse for what they did, no way of making it right themselves. That person is dead and gone now. Instead, he, when he sees you, he, he sees you hidden with Christ, wrapped up in Jesus sees the holiness in Jesus applied to your life now. Or Paul will say, if you're a follower of Jesus now, when Christ appears, you are going to appear with him in glory. When, when, When Jesus rides out of heaven on a white horse, eyes set on fire, crown on his head, red robe draped over his shoulders, armies of heaven riding down with him, you are going to share in that glory. When the new heaven and the new earth are formed, and he wipes away every tear from every eye, and the old order of things has passed away, and he ascends to his throne and says, Behold, I have made all things new. You're going to share in that glory. As Paul begins, he says, hey, I want you to understand, this is who you are now. Set your mind on things above. Set your hearts on things above. As Paul begins, he he wants us to focus on who we are positionally in Jesus. Paul understands if you're going to move your life towards this ideal that he's calling us to in verse 17, that it starts when we focus our hearts, we focus our minds on who we are now positionally because we belong to Jesus. Now, there are a number of ways you can do this. A host of different ways you can do this. For me, this is one of the reasons that I have a goal every year to read through the entire Bible. It's not like I haven't read it before, but every year I'm going to try and read through the whole thing. Rarely do I make it all the way, but I give it a shot every year. But what I'm doing is I'm trying to remind my heart, I'm trying to put before my mind who I am in Christ. It's one of the reasons that I come to church every week. And some of you are like, no, it's not. You come to church every week because you work here and we wouldn't pay you otherwise. And 
That may be true of you, all right? But, like, I came to church before I was ever on staff, before I was ever getting paid for it. Because as I sat in worship, and as I lived in community, and as I sat and listened to God's truth being proclaimed, I was trying to put before my mind the truth of who I am positionally in Jesus. It's one of the reasons I listen to all kinds of other preachers preach. I do a lot of this preaching around here. I want to hear what other people are saying and thinking about who I want to put it in front of my heart, who I am positionally in Jesus. Paul says, listen, if you want to move your life towards this ideal, it begins when you focus your heart and mind on who you are in Christ. But here's the problem with that. I won't speak for you, I'll speak for me. I can know who I am positionally in Jesus, that doesn't always translate to practice. Like more times than I'd like to admit, I'm like, okay, these are the theological truths about who I am in Jesus, but I'm, I'm struggling today to put my position into practice. Anybody else ever struggle with that? Thank you for not leaving me up here hanging this time. Right? Like, I mean, it's hard it is, it is difficult to live out in our day-to-day lives who we are positionally in Jesus. But again, Paul understands. If we're going to move towards this ideal that he's calling us to in verse 17, this happens as we learn to put our position into practice. And so in this next section, Paul speaks to us a number of times about what we can do to help move our position, put our position into practice. Paul starts off this way. He says, Um, He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature. Now, just stop and think for a second. Verse 3, Paul says, you're dead. Your life is now hidden with Christ. Verse 5, he says, you got stuff you got to put to death. I'm like, which is it, man? Make up your mind, right? Am I dead or do I need to die? And Paul's like, it's both. Positionally, the person who you used to be before Jesus, positionally, that person is dead. But in your day-to-day living, while you are on this earth, in this body, there is part of you, Paul refers to it as an earthly nature, that he's like, there's part of you that needs to be dealt with. And Paul, Paul is, he almost sounds drastic in the way he talks to us about this. Paul's like, hey, that, that, that part of you that, 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 that's drawn to sexual immorality and impurity, which basically covers anything you can do sexually outside of the context of marriage. Or Paul say, hey, that, that part of you that's drawn to lust or, and evil desires. That part of you that's drawn to greed that's like, hey, God isn't taking good enough care of me and I need what other people have that I don't have yet. Or that part of you that's drawn to idolatry. Paul says, hey, you, you need to deal with that. You need to act violently towards that part of you. You need to kill that part of you. We're like, Paul, slow down, man. Paul's like, no, you don't understand. And, and please, please don't misunderstand, Paul. Paul is not advocating self-harm here. Paul is trying to get us to understand how serious these kind of things are. That if we don't deal with these things, they will deal with us. If I don't destroy these things, they will destroy me. Paul wants me to understand, if I'm going to put my position into practice, I've got to, I've got to take the broken part of me that still remains and puts it to death. Paul's like, listen, don't be like the fool who brings that baby grizzly cub home and tries to make a pet out of it. 
He's like, you're, you're going to wind up on the same TV show every time. It's called When Bears Eat People, all right? I don't care how fuzzy it is. I don't care how innocent it seems. I don't care how many times your daughter says, oh, Dad, it's so cute, all right? It is an apex predator. It is going to eat your face, all right? That's what bears do. Paul's like, listen, you got to deal with this thing. This stuff, we're forever told, ah, it's really not a big deal. It's innocent. There's a degree of fun in all these things. What are you worried about? Come on, lighten up. And Paul's like, no, these things will kill you if you don't kill them first. When it comes to your earthly nature, Paul says, you want to put your position into practice, you have to bring a, just like a, a, a killer kind of mentality. You just got a killer mentality when it comes to your earthly nature. You're going to put this thing to death. Paul continues. Doesn't stop there. It gets more drastic. He says, hey, you used to walk in these ways. He's not ignorant. He's like, yeah, look, everybody's got a past. Everybody has things they used to do. He says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now, Paul's like, listen, positionally, you are a new person in Jesus. You've got to work to line your practice up with this position. But now, you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Now, this word that we have translated here is rid. In the original language, it carries with it like this emotion where you see this thing and you're just horrified by this thing. You're just like, I got to chuck this thing away from me as fast and as far as I can. So to try and illustrate this, I recently saw a video of a lady in India who was having these massive headaches couldn't figure out why she was having headaches, tried every home remedy she could think of, compresses, medications, naps, what, you, know, you know, light, nothing's working. So finally she decides, okay, I'm going to have to go to the doctor. Nobody likes doctors. They make a living off the pain of suffering of others, you know, but you got to go sometimes. So she says, I'm going to go to the doctor. Fine, I'm going to go. Doctor was able to figure out what was causing the headaches and how to take care of it. Let's watch this video. We'll see what was doing it for this lady. Doctor begins his examination with a common source of head pain, the inner ear. And peering deep in her ear canal, what he discovers is horrifying. The cause of her excruciating pain is a miniature invader, a jumping spider. And he's turned her head into a home. Jumping spiders don't build webs, so they need to find a crevice or a crack to sleep in at night. So it's not entirely implausible that an ear, being a nice attractive crevice, could be a nighttime spot for a jumping spider to sleep. Using a light, the doctor attempts to coax the insect out, but there's no guarantee he'll come. Spiders are always wary of danger. Any sudden movement could cause the spider to turn and move deeper into her inner ear. Who would like to change your answer? You know, what's your creepiest bug now, right? Now you're sitting out there and you're like, why did you show that to me? What is wrong with you, right? We had spent a long time on the answer to that question, right? Here's what, this is what Paul's trying to get us, just get rid of that thing. The, 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 the you feel for that spider. 
the, the sense of horror you have of that thing crawling around in your ear. Paul's saying, when it comes to things like these, that's the attitude you need to have. As you approach sin and temptation in your life, you need spider-like intensity. When you're talking, I got to get rid, it's not, oh, it's not a big deal. No, he's like, no, no, no. If you're going to put your position into practice, you need to work to get rid of the brokenness in your life with this kind of intensity. He's like, you can't mess around with this stuff. It will destroy you. Paul goes on. He says this. He says, don't lie to each other. Since you've taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has any grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, in an effort, again, to help us try and figure out what does it look like to put our position into practice, Paul uses some terms repeatedly throughout this larger passage, this, this last section here. And they're, they're terms, we translate them differently, but they're, they're, each of these terms is meant to capture one or two ideas when it comes to clothing. And Paul's like, listen, you gotta, you gotta take some stuff off and put some stuff on. So, try and illustrate this. Every July, end of July, for a number of years now, I've participated in a sprint triathlon which means you, you swim half a mile, you bike uh, 12 miles, and then you run a 5K. And so to, to get ready for this event, I'm training during June and July, some of the hottest parts of the year. And I will intentionally go out on the hottest days and train because it could be hot on race day. And just, I mean, just because it's race day doesn't mean it's going to be a perfect, you know, breezy 80 degrees. And so you're like, you got to get out and train on the hot days because it'd be hot on race day. So I will go out towards the end of June and, and throughout July, and I'll do a thing called, a, it's called a brick. So you do two out of three of the events. And so I'll, I'll intentionally go out. It's 85, 90 degrees. I will bike 15 miles, get off the bike, and run a 5K. Now, when I get done, I am soaking wet, all right? You could, you could wring the sweat out of my clothes. It's quite disgusting. So I will go home. I'll take a shower. Take off the dirty, nasty, slinky, you know, sweaty clothes. I will take a shower. Now, after I get out of the shower, is it okay for me to get right back into those same stinky, nasty, sweaty clothes? Is that okay? No, of course not. Like, unless you're in middle school, you understand. <laughs> it's not okay after you've gotten cleaned up to put those dirty clothes back on. You put something clean on again. Paul's trying to make this point in our interactions with others. So Paul's like, listen, you, you have somebody who, maybe somebody at work, somebody at school, somebody in your family, may, God forbid, maybe even somebody here in your church. And they think they see something go down in your life. They don't have all the information. 
They didn't bother to come and talk to you personally about it. They just think they got it figured out. And so they make a judgment call. And then after they make a judgment call about you, they jump onto social media. In one of those fun, passive-aggressive kind of ways, they put you out there on blast, which is really, we forget how social media works. It's like the equivalent of getting hundreds and hundreds of people in a room and you get a live mic and I just dog you out. Now, when that happens, you see their post. There's something inside of you that just wells up, that wants to respond with, like in a way that reflects that old manner of living. And Paul says here, no, 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 no. No, we took that old person off. We put somebody new on. To respond in that old way, that makes no sense. That would be disturbing. That would be disgusting. Paul's like, no, no, you, you have taken anger off. You don't, you don't live like that anymore, Paul says. No, you, you've taken rage off. That, that thing inside of you that just that, that wants to, like you got all these comebacks you're thinking of and some of them are good and then you've got the ones that you, you think of later and you're like, hey, I wish I'd have said that when I saw them the first time, but I, I can say it now in my mind even though they're not here. Paul's like, no, you are taking that off. Or Paul says, hey, the malice, the, the, the part of you that wants to hurt them the way that they've hurt you, you, you got to take that off. And, and sure, like, you're not a psychopath, right? Well, I mean, maybe Mackenzie there, but, but, but most of you, you're not psycho. You're not going to like roll up on their house and firebomb the place, right? But there's something inside of you that it's ready. It's ready to talk about them. Maybe talk to somebody else about them the way they've been talking about you. Maybe, maybe you can misrepresent them a little bit the way they've misrepresented you. Maybe you can call them some names that aren't on their birth certificate exactly and let the world know just who they are. And Paul's like, wait, wait, no, that would be disgusting. That would be disturbing. That, that'd be like taking those nasty sweaty socks and putting them babies back on again. We don't do that. There you go, Rachel. Hey, he's like, no, 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 that, that's not who we are. We took that stuff off, we're going to put something new on. Paul says, I want you to put on compassion. I want you to take the time to try and understand, like, okay, yeah, they did that thing, but what's going on in their life that might be behind why they behaved the way that they did? Paul says, I, I want you to put on kindness. You got this Father in heaven. He is kind to those who deserve it. And to those who don't, he is kind to those who appreciate it. And he's kind to those who don't. Because your father in heaven, he understands kindness in this context. Kindness is given. It's not earned. It's just freely given. Paul says, you should put on kindness. Or Paul say, hey, you need to put on humility. I want you to think about that person and I want you to think about their needs before you think about you and you think about your needs. Paul say, I, I want you to put on gentleness. Yeah, yeah, you could squash them like a bug. 
and nobody would nobody think any worse for you. But I want you to I want you to be delicate with them instead. Or Paul would say, hey, I, I want you to put on patience. I love this one. Paul says, I want you to suffer with that person a long, long, long time. Or Paul will say, hey, I want you to bear with them, to, to forget, put on forgiveness. Remember the way God forgave you? Remember the undeserved, unmerited, unlimited forgiveness that God poured out into your life? That's, I want you to put that on and pour that out into their life. Paul says, above all these virtues, put on or clothe yourself in love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. See, Paul is trying to get us to understand that in order to put our position into practice, we need to work to intentionally clothe ourselves with new responses and new behaviors. Ones that reflect the reality of who we are in Jesus now. Again, Paul says, you're going to put your position into practice. Nobody had to get buried or married today for me to put this on. It's a miracle, right? So you're going to put your position into practice. You are going to work to intentionally clothe yourself with new responses, new behaviors, ones that reflect the reality of who you are in Jesus now. To respond that old way, it'd be like putting on those nasty workout clothes. That's disgusting. That's disturbing. You're going to put on something different and new now. And for Paul, what it looks like to take certain things off, what it looks like to put certain things on, it's really very practical. It's all about the behaviors and responses that we have to one another. So Paul's like, listen, you want to you move your life towards this ideal that I'm calling you towards in verse 17. It starts with focusing on your position, who you are in Jesus, but then it continues as you put your position into practice. You have a killer instinct towards that earthly nature. You, you have spider-like intensity. You're going to get rid of that old life. You, you, you are going to do everything you can to take off the old you and to put on something new because they'll continue to wear the old you. That's just that's, that's disturbing. Who would do that? See, again, there's, there's an intensity that Paul brings to this conversation that so often gets lacked in church circles. Some of us, some of us were more worried about the clothes that I was wearing for the first half of this message than we were the presence of things in our lives that Paul said we should have long since taken off. We, we had a greater emotional response to the tracksuit than we did the, the, the absence of virtues that Paul said we should have long since put on. We'll, we'll approach these things that we, we should get rid of, and we're like, yeah, I mean, I'm going to get around that. And Paul's like, no, it's a bug in your ear. You should be horrified. We'll approach our earthly nature and it's, ah, it's not so bad and it's still a good time. Paul's saying, no, you've got to kill that thing before it kills you. 
He uses drastic language because this is serious stuff. If we're going to put our position into practice, we need to bring the kind of intensity that Paul is calling us to here. Now, there's one, one final thing that Paul will talk to us about when it comes to moving towards this ideal that he's called us to in verse 17. And this last one, as chance would have it, it's, it's, it's really closely connected to the putting your position into practice. Because again, I'll speak for me, not you. Putting my position into practice, that's easier said than done. Like I can understand all the things I need to take off, all the things I need to put on, but actually doing that, again, more times than I'd like to admit, I find myself going, I just... I don't have what it takes in myself to do this in my power alone. It's because I don't. The good news, though, is I wasn't meant to. I was never meant to do this in my power alone. And neither were you. We see this in what Paul will say next. Listen to what Paul says in the kind of language he uses. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body... You were called to peace. See, Paul is using the language of community here. This idea of, you know, I don't have what it takes in and of myself to put my position in practice. We don't. It's true. But we weren't meant to. We were meant to do this in community. When, when you surrender your life to Jesus, you become part of a spiritual family called the church. And we're no, we're, we are no more meant to like tackle putting our position into practice alone any more than we're meant to like cut off our hand and see how that thing does all on its own. It doesn't work. Paul's like, no, no. Again, listen to the language. As he continues, he says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Now the you here in the original language, that's plural. So if we were to translate that into Southern, right, we would say, let the message of Christ dwell among all you all richly. Paul's going, hey, this putting your position into practice, this isn't an individual thing. This isn't a personal thing. This isn't a private thing. This is a communal thing. Let let the message of Christ, let, let who you are positionally in Jesus dwell among all you all richly as you teach and admonish one another. See, this is something we're meant to do together. Paul understands if, if we're going to move towards adulting the way he's called us to in verse 17, we need to do this in community. We need other people in our lives to help us. We're not doing this thing alone. We need other people in our lives to help us. Now, we'll talk about this more in a couple of weeks, but let me ask you. Who do you have in your life who knows the parts of you that need to be put to death, knows what you need to get rid of, knows what you need to take off? And by that, I I don't mean like your life went off the rails and you did something miserable and blew things up and they got hit with a shrapnel and now they're like, yeah, he needs to deal with that thing. I mean, who have you sat down with? And you intentionally brought your Pandora's box to the table and you opened that thing up and you said, hey, I know this is ugly, but this is what needs to die in me. This is what I need to get rid of. These are some of the things I need to take off. These are some of the things I need to put on. 
I want to invite you into this part of my life. I want to give you permission to speak truth into this part of my life on a regular basis. I want to give you permission to encourage me, to hold me accountable, to push me to be something better and more. I can't do this alone. Will you do this with me? This is what Paul has in mind here. If you were to steal my Bible and look up this passage written in the margin on the left-hand side, you three letters in all caps, because I am one of those heathens who will write in his Bible. Um, three letters, LOL. Now, I, I'm not laughing out loud at Paul. That's not what this is about. It's actually an acronym for a life group, a micro small group that I was part of. That This was one of our theme verses. It was a life on life group. To be part of the group, there were a number of things I had to be willing to do. Had to be willing to show up for group every week, having read the same passage of scripture as the other guys in the group had read, because we're all trying to focus on, you know, who are we positionally in Jesus? What is the truth that our hearts and minds need to be focused on? To be part of the group, I had to be willing to have identified specific areas of my life that I needed to take off, specific areas of my life that I needed to put on, and measurable, tangible action steps that I was going to engage in that were going to help me move my life in that direction. To be part of the group, I had to be willing to pray for the other guys in the group regularly and regularly ask them about how they were doing with what they were taking off and putting on. Now, I was was part of one of those groups for years. And there were guys in that group who I watched really take being part of that group seriously. And there was adulting that took place in their lives in just a beautiful amazing kind of way. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying if you're going to adult in Jesus, you have to be part of a small group that is structured exactly that way. I am saying, if you're going to put your position into practice, you're going to move towards adulting in Jesus, you're not going to do that well alone. You are meant to do that in some kind of community. So Paul says, hey, you want to know what it looks like to be grown up in Jesus? Simple as this. In whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Every conversation, every response, every behavior, seek to represent Jesus, seek to point people to Jesus in what you say and what you do. And we, we move towards this ideal as we focus our hearts and our minds on who we are positionally in Jesus. As we, with intensity, seek to put our position into practice. And as we do this in community with others. Just stand with me, please, church. Before we move on and worship today, and we've got some special things planned for the latter half of this, I want to take a minute and pray. And if you're here today, and probably for every one of us, if we're being honest, there's some things that we would do well to take off, and there's some things that we would do well to put back on. And as we've been listening to Paul and his words, if, if God is 
placed his heart on an area of your life that you know you need to take off or put on, I would love to pray with you and for you. And at the same time, if, if you are here today in this idea about who we are positionally in Jesus, whether, whether you're watching online, you're, you're with us in person, if, if that is not true for you, but you're ready for it to be, again, I would love to pray with you and for you about that. So let's pray together and then we'll continue in worship. Father, just again, thank you for Paul. Thank you for his words. Father, today, we just, we pray that you would meet us and that you would help us, please. As you brought to mind these areas in our lives that we need to take off, that we need to put back on, Father, just in the quietness of our hearts, we just want to name this to you. Father, we want to ask for courage, and for strength to seek out community where we can work with others to put our position into practice. And Father, for some of us, just today, we're ready for our position to change. We are ready to be raised up with Jesus. We are ready for that old person to be dead and gone. We're ready for the glory of Jesus to be something we can look forward to. We just confess to you that we are broken, that we have sinned, that we have gone our own way. Forgive us, please. We want to put our hope and our trust and our faith in Jesus, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. We want to surrender all of who we are to him and follow him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.